Mrs. Frisbee, the head of a family of field mice, lived in an underground house in the vegetable garden of a farmer named Mr. Fitzgibbon. It was a winter house, such as some field mice move to when food becomes too scarce and the living too hard in the woods and pastures. In the soft earth of a bean, potato, black-eyed pea, and asparagus patch, there is plenty of food left over for mice after the human crop has been gathered. Mrs. Frisbee and her family were especially lucky in the house itself. It was a slightly damaged cinder block, the hollow kind with two oval holes through it. It had somehow been abandoned in the garden during the summer, and lay almost completely buried, with only a bit of one corner showing above ground, which is how Mrs. Frisbee had discovered it. It lay on its side in such a way that the solid parts of the block formed a roof and a floor, both waterproof, and the hollows made two spacious rooms, lined with bits of leaves, grass, cloth, cotton fluff, feathers, and other soft things Mrs. Frisbee and her children had collected. The house stayed dry, warm and comfortable all winter. A tunnel to the surface earth of the garden, dug so that it was slightly larger than a mouse and slightly smaller than a cat's foreleg, provided access, air, and even a fair amount of light to the living room. The bedroom, formed by the second oval, was warm but dark, even at midday. A short tunnel through the earth behind the block connected the two rooms. Although she was a widow, her husband had died only the preceding summer, Mrs. Frisbee was able, through luck and hard work, to keep her family, there were four children, happy and well-fed, January and February were the hardest months. The sharp, hard cold that began in December lasted until March. And by February, the beans and black eyes had been picked over, with help from the birds. The asparagus roots were frozen into stone, and the potatoes had been thawed and refrozen so many times they had acquired a slimy texture and a rancid taste. Still, the Frisbees made the best of what there was, and one way or another, they kept from being hungry. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about the first page of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim by Robert C. O'Brien, published in 1971. And our guest tonight is Casey Smith. Casey, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. So this is a work that's been around for a while in a couple different media. Uh, How familiar are we all with it? I'm very familiar with the film. Um, I knew it was based on a book. Again, this is one of those books that I haven't read. Uh, And I had to check when you sent me the cover I was like, wasn't it Mrs. Brisby? I could have sworn it was Brisby. Is this one of those Berenstein, Berenstein bears thing where like my whole childhood was what was a lie? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I looked it up online and it is in the film. It's Mrs. Brisby uh, is the name of the character. But uh, apparently originally it was Mrs. Frisby. And in my mind, I keep comparing this a little bit to Watership Down, which is another book about uh, animals that mostly act like animals. Um, that also became an animated film that deeply traumatized me as a child. Books about animals with human trauma. Yep. Um, that then they think is uh, like appropriate for kids. Mm. And uh, 
the kids watch them and we're like, whoa, that's going to sit with me forever. And it did. Well, maybe this will be the, the, the healing that we all need. Uh, I definitely saw the movie when I was young and I think I saw it at school. Like whether it was like a substitute teacher or something, I can't recall. Uh, and I don't recall anything else about it except, uh, some vague recollection of what NIM stands for. And in fact, when I, when I recommended, uh, when, when I brought up this book as a, a possible book to discuss, um, the only way I think about this book is the rats of NIM. Like I don't recall Mrs. Frisbee or Brisby, uh, at all. Uh, and I've never read the book. The, the movie was called the secret of NIM. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it was about, a some, uh, government contracts, right? That was the secret. Uh, some some grant money was being funneled. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, so I have actually never seen the movie, nor have I read the book. <laughs> what I have read is, and I had to like look this up for a few minutes to figure out exactly which thing it was that I was trying to remember, uh, was an old golden picture book, which was really more of a comic from, it looks like 1982. So I know I have... I have impressions about the story and like certainly the visuals, mm-hmm. but I don't actually really know much of what's going on. So you would not describe yourself as traumatized? Oh, no, I probably still would. They're definitely like, I have a strong image of like the, the cinder block house sinking into the mud as everyone like attempts to not drown yep. just from the pages of this picture book. Yep. So a little traumatized. Hmm. I mean, I can tell you the story, or at least what I remember of it, but I don't know if that would, you know, unfairly uh, bias your opinion of this first page. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, something I recall that we didn't talk about, actually, on your 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 last visit uh, with us, Casey, uh, that was, I think, uh, one uh, or two or maybe three uh, 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 months ago, um, uh, was the cover of the book which uh, I feel like we, we could get into here a little bit just because, well, besides this very nice little stamp for some award. I think it's a Newberry. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. nice. John Newberry medal. So what do we see here? It's like a, a new day dawning and there's uh, a mouse with a cape mm-hmm. uh, in the center of this overarching tree out of which are some scary eyes that kind of look like an, maybe an owl. Uh-huh me and then there's there's uh some other bird flying in the sky um so i do get a very like watership down like you know yeah animals with human problems maybe uh, mm. yeah and then you you didn't mention the three rats yes and the one of which has an eye patch yeah i'm always down for a mouse and a cape yeah for a rat and eye patch mm. yeah it's it's funny i was just uh, again in my uh continuing quest to uh avoid reality uh i was hmm. just i was just leafing through uh the mouse guard role-playing game so uh i'm uh very much in this this mode of like animal adventure stories especially mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like caped animal adventures uh yes but this doesn't really tell us anything about nim which is maybe i wonder uh you know taking the name of the movie as the the what was it again, Casey? The Secret of Nim? Ah, uh, The Secret of Nim. Mm. Yeah, like there's something about that name that has a very nice, uh, you know, fantasy-esque uh, 
Are, 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 are we going to spoil the book, Vin? Go ahead. Okay. Listeners, spoilers ahead. What is what is what, what does NIM stand for? What is it? The National Institute of something? Is it mental health? I was going to say mental health, but like, are they studying mice for mental health? Uh, and when this was written, quite possibly <laughs> chemical treatments. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Um, yeah. I wonder if that's why partly this book lives in my brain in a uh, the space. Uh, it 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 lives in the uh, bucket where uh, flowers for Algernon also lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and that like, oh, yes, you know, just to remind people like Algernon is not the name of the person. Algernon was the the, the super smart mouse. Uh, um, yeah, it's the National Institute of Mental Health. Mm-hmm. It, the Internet says this is the lead federal agency for research on mental disorders. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't I don't recall oh. that anything that happened to the rats was well, at least we don't know, because really, we only get it from the point of view of the rats they don't they don't know why things were done to them but um it did make them smarter so mm-hmm. <laughs> i i hope we're going to leave all uh all animal sounds in the podcast i might get this is my uh my dog guarding a piece of a little cat toy which is like a little plastic ball with a bell in the middle that he has been he's been going to a basket and specifically selecting these particular types of toys because he can crunch them into pieces and then he's laying among the pieces and growling at the cats who are looking at him um and aren't actually trying to get any of these pieces that he doesn't really even want anymore because he's already chewed them up but uh, but he's still got to look at them and, and curl his lip and warn them that um if they try to do anything he will growl and then promptly run away <laughs> Uh, Casey, ha- have you seen, uh, since we were just talking uh, before the episode started uh, about shows or movies we were watching, uh, have you seen Lady and the Tramp recently, the the original? Uh, not recently. Um, I saw it enough as a childhood, as a kid, that I, I would probably, you could probably still like reference a scene and I would probably still remember it, mm. but, uh, but it's been a while. Mm. There was a rat in that one too. A villainous rat, kind of. There's a lot of uh, uh, broadly uh, caricatured or uh, stereotyped dog breeds. Uh, and of course, there's also the Siamese cats. Yeah, I was going to uh, say the big problem would be the yeah. the Siamese cats. They, they did not, uh, that scene did not age well. Hmm. Well, this, this is off the first page, but I'm wondering if, uh, like, the, these mice and these rats... Are not uh, broadly speaking uh, representative of any ethnic stereotypes. I assume. Uh, I don't recall any of them being that that way. Um, I think they, I think they all, at least in the movie, they all presented as pretty white. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the good ones and the bad ones. I don't think there were any 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 voice by anyone that like wasn't white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Uh, I was just listening to some uh some some black podcasters talk about how uh how they uh understood uh goofy and his family to also be black Hmm. i was like oh never never thought about uh yeah but anyway sorry now uh zooming back into this page since we zoomed far out to cover all of disney uh by the way who did make the movie for this 
Dunbluth. Uh, Dunbluth. Uh. Which is why it was so disturbing. Hmm. He's not good at making uh, non-disturbing children's movies. Hmm. Should we have a spinoff podcast where we go through Don Bluth's filmography? It'd be a good podcast, but it would be very short. <laughs> there's, there's a good number of them, I think. Yeah, but it's probably under like 30. That's true. Oh. <laughs> um, the Sickness of Timothy Frisbee. Mrs. Frisbee, the head of a family of field mice, lived in an underground house in the vegetable garden of a farmer named Mr. Fitzgibbon. I was immediately hooked by that sentence. Kind of serving strong Hobbit vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, usually I'm, I'm leery of a sentence with two proper names. Yes. But this is one of those instances where because, like, the things that they're attached to are, like, so... What's the word I want? It's not iconic, but, like, so vivid in their, their distinction that uh, I think it works just fine. Like, because... Mm-hmm. You have a field mouse with a proper name and then you have a farmer. So like you have a very clear view of like an interesting dynamic and relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. That's actually, in fact, the, the, the only note that I, I made uh, when reading this was that like there was a nice balancing act between the animal world and the human world or not even a balancing act. But this whole page is just about like the uh, about the connections, I guess. Yeah. You know. You know, Frisbee lives, you know, in this patch of the farm and there's a cinder block. And yeah, like the way that the way that their house is always referred to in relationship to them, like they start out by saying an underground house right? Mm-hmm. and not like they lived in a cinder block or like they lived in a nest or anything. We jump right into it being from that perspective before we go into all mm-hmm. of the, like the very bizarre architecture of their house. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which makes sense. I mean, it like makes you're like, oh yeah, that's how it would work if it was a buried cinder block. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I like how it's always in their context, even though we still get the mm-hmm. details that make it very different from what we'd expect. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And like the fact that even in the next sentence we go on to, it was a winter house, and like <laughs> there are some you know some human people who have a winter house, but <laughs> it's very different in this context. But we still just like to say. It was a winter house, and then we briefly tell us what a winter house means and why it's mm-hmm. there. Um, right. But it's still in mouse terms. Yeah. Right. It's funny. If you take out Mr. Fitzgibbon's name from that first sentence, I don't think you actually lose a lot. Uh, and you you do kind of just focus on, like, uh, mouse uh, v. vegetable garden. Yeah, I think I think what what he adds there is a sense of scale. Because you immediately picture a human being in this context, you get the contrast very strongly. Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like if you didn't at least imply the presence of a human pretty solidly up front, you could lull yourself into picturing this as more like a red wall sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Or like you're only talking about animals doing human things and not animals surviving in a human world. Mm-hmm. When I like the idea that it's... Um that Mrs. Frisbee knows that the farmer's name is Mr. Fitzgibbon. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That is always, always a question of, uh, these sorts of texts, like, like watership down mm-hmm. where like there is some understanding of humans, but like, you know, they don't understand say cigarettes. Mm. Um, yeah. I feel like yeah. mostly the understanding is how much they suck. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like how difficult they make their lives. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I do, I do like that. That yeah. what I particularly like about this first sentence, uh, with Fitzgibbon or not, uh, is that the little, uh, like we get a name, we get you know, uh, um, we get a phrase describing <laughs> uh, who who that name belongs to, mm. uh, and and again that like Mrs. Frisbee, like if you didn't have the head of a family of field mice, uh, you'd get Mrs. Frisbee lived in an underground house, which is much harder, I think, to understand. Mm. But as soon as you get Mrs. Frisbee, the head of a family of field mice, lived in an underground house. And it's also, it has that nice trick of like, uh, the description is small enough so that like, if you just had the description, the head of a family of field mice lived in an underground house, mm-hmm. like that it would be a perfectly fine sentence. Like we're, we're, we're still talking about the subject uh, of the sentence. Mm-hmm. We're still keeping that focus. I, you know, I'm kind of thinking too. This was written in the 1970s, and it took me. I mean, I, I guess I remembered this aspect of it because it's a big component of her character. But um, I didn't really think about the, you know, fact she was widowed until they kind of tell you on the third, and it's like the third paragraph down. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that she is named Mrs. Frisbee and she's the head of the family. I, I wonder if in, in 1970s, you would just read that and be like, oh, okay, she's a widow or like the husband's not around. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, to, to stick with that third, that third paragraph, how did you all find reading that? It's a leading question, I think. The, although she was a widow paragraph? Yes. I ended up kind of, at the end of the page, I was left confused with how micey these mice were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like how much they're supposed to be just mice and how much they're supposed to be, you know, quote unquote mice, but the conceit is really they're, you know, people shaped like mice. Um, Cause like you have this very mousy dwelling, like, you know, a little nest that's built with like fur and leaves and things that real mice can gather. And the structure of their house is built in a way that, you know, a, you can imagine a real mouse kind of making a home in that manner. And I, I love the description of the tunnel that's um, slightly larger than a mouse and slightly smaller than a cat's foreleg mm-hmm. because it's, it just, uh, you know, it's so specific and so intentional and uh, just denotes this, you know, thoughtful cleverness in, in how it was made. But again, in a manner that I would think, yeah, like a, an experienced mouse would probably know you know, don't make your tunnel bigger than this, but don't make it smaller than that, or it doesn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get to this this paragraph where they're talking about like her husband had died the preceding summer and she has four kids. And I'm starting to think, wait a minute, how long do mice actually live? <laughs> well, that's fair. And like, yeah. don't don't all their children like grow up in like three months? So if her husband died <laughs> last summer but she still has four kids that are kids. Like, how did that work? And that, that kind of took me out of it. Like I kind of lost the thread of like, are these, where's the line here for how much mice and how much people they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much of that is abstracted for the purpose of right. Yeah. Mouse fiction. Yeah. I, I get a little bit of that even in the description of the house in the, the living room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like the description, and I, I do especially love that. Uh, it's kind of a long line. I had to read it twice. Uh, that's a 
view behind the curtain for the listener, but lined with bits of leaves, grass, cloth, cotton fluff, feathers, and other soft things Mrs. Frisbee and her children had collected. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a children's book uh, called The Best Nest by uh, P.D. Eastman, uh, where, where two birds uh, try to find a new nest, a new place to nest. Mm-hmm. And when they find a place, they go out and they collect uh, all sorts of things and just very much like that list. Like it has a, uh, it, ha- it has the sense for me of being both like, uh, both very realistic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a, a, you know, a mouse, uh, to collect all these things or, you know, in, in that book for birds to collect those things, but also kind of like to have a, an incan, incantatory, uh, quality as a list of just like, like you could go on forever collecting soft things. Like, tell me about all these soft things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, I like that. Once we get to the living room, I'm just like, what? What is in a mouse's living room? Like a mouse's bedroom, I can I can picture. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like in winter. You know, you're all huddled together. You know, best to keep the kids with you, even if they are adults. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like from the uh, the the picture book that I read. At least in in there, and I don't know how much this. I don't know whether it's more based off the film, or the book, or how close those are. They do definitely have furniture mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. books and mail. <laughs> yeah, I I'm guessing it's probably based. Well, I don't. In the film, their their house is it is a cinder block, but it's definitely like a people house. Like mm. it's you know their furniture is made out of like thimbles and buttons and things, but it's clearly furniture and like all the kids have clothes and they just look like, you know, little tiny people clothes. I I don't even know that they attempted to make it seem like they were made out of something else. So in the, in the movie, and it sounds like in, in the picture book, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot less of a question. Like they're not that much mice. Like they are, they're mice, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're mice with, with clothes and, and furniture and like, yeah. This this one can have you know three kids of three different ages, even though like that's that's not how mice work. Like, whatever, because <laughs> these guys are sitting around with books and and uh, right and right. you know hair ties and stuff. That, that would be great if it was like this is this is how mice work. Like you know, uh, the father was eaten by a cat, and but like like there's no <laughs> there's no there's no incest taboo with mice. So right. like, you know, at three months they're all adults and having children of their own. Uh, yeah, that would be a much different, uh, uh, different children's book. Mm. Um, I don't know how did, well, so I, I'll, I'll just come out and say, uh, I like the first two paragraphs. I was really into, uh, like the description of the house. Uh, you know, it, it did have a, again, like kind of a lyrical, uh, somewhat fairy tale, quality to to mm-hmm. me you know mm-hmm. like you know this is a story back when when dogs could talk or you know other traditional uh fairy tale openings that third paragraph though uh <laughs> between the 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 parenthetical her husband had died only the preceding summer and the the dash delimited uh there were four children uh between that and then like this description of like the winter which again like there are parts that i kind of liked uh, but again, like we have another parenthetical, like with help from the birds, mm-hmm. um, there was something that felt very not linear, I guess I want to say about this paragraph. Like it didn't feel like we were progressing in the description. Like mm-hmm. the first two paragraphs are just like, 
here's a family. Uh, they moved to this house. This is what the house is like. You know, like, let me tell you about how hard it was during the winter. Like, okay, that, that would be like a, uh, an understandable paragraph. Um, but there was something that just felt really choppy to me, I guess, about the writing. Yeah, it sort of pulls back out after zooming in fairly close. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can see that. Uh, although, I, like, I do think that, like, parenthetically telling you that her husband died the preceding summer mm-hmm. is, like, a very strong way to just, like, casually indicate trauma and tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you can you can see the, like, you can almost see the way that she has had to compartmentalize it and parenthesize it because she is, you know, working to keep the family alive. Mm-hmm. So it has to live in, in an aside, even though it's an important thing. Yeah. And, and I was going to say too, like for a mouse, death is probably a little bit more um, expected, mm. right? Like if you are a small animal, that's, perpetually hunted by a vast majority of things like the fact that someone in your family has died might just be more of like that sucks but it's also you know it's not like that deep betrayal of expectation yeah that like a person would have it's more commonplace tragedy right yeah i keep comparing this to watership down in large part just because i i actually i read watership down recently and so like i'm kind of like thinking about that one and, and the way that um, the different authors kind of create a sense of um, like culture or uh, society for mm-hmm. these, you know, little animals and how much it uh, stays true to like what the animals actually do and how much it creates something that lets us, you know, identify with the characters as having motivations and needs and things that are a little bit more complicated than just, uh, you know, the needs of, of these animals in reality. That's also interesting to compare to The Plague Dogs, which is by the same author as Watership Down, Yep, which is about two dogs that escape from a lab because they don't have culture. Right. Because they're like coming from a human place and fleeing to a wild place. So like there's such an intense sense of like isolation in that one. Yep. That was another animated film that um, I I watched when I was a little bit older, but still traumatized me pretty good. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but boy, that is a book with a lot of trauma. Yeah. Like even compared to Watership Down. Oh man, it was one, I mean, I I knew kind of what the premise was and I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be like, you know, you know, I was thinking like kind of like the Homeward Bound or something, you know, some epic escape story that ultimately led to the, you know, redemption and and happiness of the main characters and, Mm. um, it, it was not that I just kept being like, but now it's going to get better. Right. Oh, oh dear. Oh God. Yeah. And it, it just kind of kept doing that for the whole movie. So, uh, <laughs> so Casey, what, what <laughs> led you to, uh, uh, life as a veterinarian? <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess, um, <laughs> a large amount of animals and, uh, figuring that was probably the only way I would manage all their medical care. No. Um, <laughs> Mostly, you know, I, I started in a career of, um, like animal training and, uh, kind of decided I wanted to get into the medical aspect of it. So I went back to school and, um, became a vet. Um, I don't know, at some point I felt like I wanted to, uh, fix physical things, uh, as well as, uh, behavior issues, really yeah. more than behavior issues. Mm. 
I'd, I'd love to draw like a connection, like, you know, traumatized by, by mice movie as a child, you, you, you dedicate your life to helping, helping animals through, through their own trauma as a way, you know, hmm. I will say it's, it's a mice movie about, uh, again, about animal testing. Yeah. Which, uh, there actually is a group of, of veterinarians, live animal veterinarians, and their job is to ensure uh, the basically the ethical treatment of animals that are being used for, uh, you know, human studies, so that hopefully they don't, you know, escape with profound trauma mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. attached to their experiences. Meanwhile, I was just thinking my my childhood love of animals was all channeled through. Uh, wild america on pbs mm. and not not through uh not through the, this trauma mm-hmm. uh i mean i, but, I this is yeah. definitely not the only <laughs> means by, by which i i interacted with animals <laughs> i you know that'd be great if like your 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 first exposure to to animals you're like oh like well like what's through watership down? like if you had yeah. never known about bunnies and then you were like oh let's watch watership down like animals be- are like little people who survive hardship Right. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone have uh, Ranger Rick growing up? Does anyone remember that magazine? Yes. Yeah, that was a huge staple of uh, of my childhood. Was like getting one of those every month. Uh, apparently, it still exists. Yeah. Yep. It was a it was a pretty nice mix of like articles about uh, wildlife and then like. Uh, fictional pieces that were somehow related. So like sometimes it was about other wildlife. Sometimes it was about like other um, non-American cultures or like indigenous people's cultures mm-hmm. in America. And then there was always like a Ranger Rick episode, which Ranger Rick is this raccoon who's a ranger. And that's usually like an introduction to a certain new species or like having to solve a environmental problem or something like that. It was, uh, it was good eco-propaganda. Probably should have had more of it. Yeah. In hindsight. It's funny. I just, I just Googled uh, WWF and one of the, like, one of the suggested questions that people ask is like, uh, uh, what is bad about WWF? Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, they, well, anyway. But maybe they mean the wrestling. I do remember when, when those two entities, uh, clashed. I really, I really had my money on the wrestling foundation mm. uh, or, or organization winning that fight, but I was wrong. I guess they don't have the bear power. Uh, Is there the a WWF has double WWWWFD? <laughs> <laughs> so back to the page. Um, it might just be me, but I really do like the uh, that last description of the way that all the foods become terrible. Mm-hmm. The beans and the black eyes are picked over with help from the birds. The asparagus roots were frozen into stone and the potatoes had been thawed and refrozen so many times they had acquired a slimy texture and rancid taste. Like if you've ever had potatoes go bad, that is like, like potatoes are interesting because they last for a long time, but then when they finally do go bad, they go bad in the most horrifying way possible. And like that, that is very, like, very visceral to me. That slimy texture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like having to eat it. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing else but like heating, having to eat it. Yeah, there's something about the last line on this page that uh, the still the Frisbees made the best of what there was. 
And one way or another, they kept from being hungry. Feels so sort of like, I, I don't, it's got like big, great depression energy. Well, to, to me, it has like big, that's the thing. Like, I, I'm wondering how much of this is just like uh, an American tale, mm. uh, like in, in my bones, but like it has big, like, like uh, marginalized, but still happy immigrant and energy. Yeah. Uh, maybe also because like frisbee also sounds. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, it 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 it, it pings my radar as Irish. Uh, although I was just looking it up, and like the only frisbee I could find was in 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 Leicestershire in England. Mm. But I don't know. Like, did did you, did you all ever read? Uh, I remember Mama. No. Mm-mm. It is. I'm not even gonna remember it correctly. But it's 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 like uh, don't remember in, Mama. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I, I remember this. So it, 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 it's an immigrant story where like uh, they might be Swedish or something. And I want to say they live in some they, they've immigrated to like New York or something. And like the the daughter has to like write an essay for school. And like, I don't even remember what it was like. I'm going to say this. I'll just make it up. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'll just pitch this this version where like she has to write an essay on a hero. And so like. Like her mom was like, oh, you should write about like this person or this person. And like, eventually she writes her essay on her mom. Like, like I remember mama, like she always, you know, put food on the table and, you know, made us smile or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, again, like that's, that's kind of that, that's the vibe I get from this last line. Mm. So Robert O'Brien was born in 1918. So he did like come up in like the twenties and thirties and forties. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, uh, given name is Robert Leslie Carroll Conley. Uh, I guess he was Irish Catholic and Wikipedia does say he comes from a wealthy family, but it sounds like just giving the, given the timing, uh, he probably had a good window on a lot of hardship. Mm. Uh, according to uh, Wikipedia at some point, he then went through a period that he re- referred to as his breakdown. Mm. Uh, before going back to his family in disgrace. Well, haven't we? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be great if your breakdown was just one period? Yeah. Yeah, it also says he was uh, unfit for conscription during World War II due to physical and mental ailments. So, sounds like he has possibly some experience both with hardship and with uh, National Institute of Mental Health in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, I always kind of wondered, like, is this something that he'd read about or like walked by the building and was like, Oh, I'm inspired by that to assume that they would do terrible experiments on rodents in there. But maybe this is a more, more personal story. Apparently the work was inspired by the research of John B. Calhoun on mouse and rat population dynamics at the national Institute of mental health in the forties to the sixties. Okay. Uh, but yeah, all that is to say that it does seem like there might be uh, an element of what in modern criticism might be referred to as poverty porn hmm. going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. There's there, there's something about the like like hard scrabble, but we won't tell you how hard. Kind of, or mm-hmm. even we'll we'll tell you how hard, but also remind you. I mean, maybe it's also just that this is pitched towards uh, a younger audience, mm. like. Uh, I will sometimes while watching TV, uh, or movies with, uh, my four-year-old, uh, at, at certain points, I'll just, uh, will remind him that like the story will have a happy ending. Mm. Uh, yeah. Is this in movies that he's already seen before or new ones? 
Uh, uh, both, but yes, there's <laughs> definitely fun parts when like, it, it is funny. Like, I was talking to a friend about how, like how children's taste buds change so much. Uh, and also mm. like their, their, you know, their mental wiring changes so much, uh, day to day as they grow that like something they might love one day is just like not something they're interested in anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, is, it does still kind of surprise me that like, we'll be watching a movie that we've watched a hundred times before. And suddenly a part that has never bothered him before will suddenly require us to pause and like walk away from the TV. Mm. You know, it's like, but, but you know, the, how this, <laughs> you know, how the story ends, like, uh, like the, the cars are all happy at the end, uh, except for the bad car. And yeah, like, right. like, why is that? Okay. But you know, that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'm sorry. I don't want to be a downer about this page. I love the, I, I, I was totally into it for the, the two thirds that we had. And then that third paragraph just kind of slowed me to a crawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that last line I think also has like a sort of like feels like sentimentalism in, mm-hmm. in the literary sense of like very idealistic about the, like the nobility of the struggles of the family. Right. Like, yeah. They always make it work somehow. Yeah. And we, we also yeah. get that from the title of this chapter, which is the sickness of Timothy Frisbee, mm. uh, which obviously has big tiny Tim energy going on. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wonder part of why they're setting up is like things were tough, but they were doing okay. Is that things are about to not be okay anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we need a little bit of a, a contrast. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, this is one of those things where like uh, coming into this book, uh, which is, you know, beloved of children and an award winner. Uh, it seems kind of silly to suggest some editorial changes. Uh, but but <laughs> when has that ever stopped us? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I guess th- th- this is just my, th- and, and I, I'll say like, a- as most advice, uh, this is uh, advice that I'm really trying to give to myself. Uh, but when you hit the paragraph, when you hit the sentence that says January and February were the hardest months, uh, and then we back up the sharp hold, hard cold that began in December lasted until March. Yeah, I got I got turned around on that sentence a couple of times. Right, and by February the beans, you know, etc. And then we get into the the list of the. So like you can just say, like you could start with the big picture, right? You could say uh, the the sharp hard cold that began in December lasted until March. And by February, you don't even need January and February are the hardest months because mm-hmm. you can just say by February, you know, the the beans, et cetera, like just cut out that January and February are the hardest months. And that way your sentence starts with December yeah. <laughs> and goes into March and then February. Like, right. Okay. So those, those are all my edits. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but still, I, I see a lot of promise in here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd read the next page. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been on my to read list for like 20 years. So hopefully I'll get to it at some point. Hmm. Like this page has not turned me away from that. I do like when um, chapters have chapter titles too. It's always kind of hmm. interesting to see like what what's chosen and if it's, you know, very straightforward or more of a, oh, mm-hmm. I'll get it after, you know, you read it and like, oh, that's what that reference was. Or, mm-hmm. um, but you read that, you're like, okay, well, yeah, I see where this is going. So Mrs. Frisbee has four kids. I'm guessing one of them is Timothy mm-hmm. and uh, he's going to have a problem pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder if for the audience, I mean, th- this will probably also be very kid uh, dependent, but like parents have told stories uh, in, in, in the parenting groups that I belong to about how like 
um, you know, they uh, gave their kid a warning like, oh, by the way, like when we go to the doctor this afternoon, like you're going to get a shot. And then mm. it's like a disaster because mm. like that that sets off the kid. Now they're worried about the shot for the whole day. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, other times you don't tell the kid about the shot and then it's like, oh, and here's a shot. And then it's like a sudden it's shock and you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I wonder to, to me, to me, a, a chapter title uh, that promises the sickness of Timothy Frisbee. Like that's a nice preparation. Like I know. OK, like Timothy is going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some uh, hope that he's not going to die because <laughs> because then you, you might call it the death of Timothy Frisbee. Uh, right. Like there's something that that I, I feel uh, I feel cared for by this chapter title, I guess. Like <laughs> properly prepared. Yes. Yeah. I'm being watched out for and like prepared. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. I might read the second page of this as well. Uh, although I wonder if this would just, uh, just like thinking about animals, uh, trying to live, uh, uh among human uh, ecosystem uh, would just make me want to read Watership Down instead, which mm-hmm. is like a book that I have read several times and enjoy every time. And yeah, I I think you guys should definitely do that one on here because it's got a really yeah. good first page. And <laughs> the other thing I just sort of want to know, which which bothers me now more than it did as a kid, is that um, Mrs. Frisbee's husband has a first name, but she never does. She's only ever referred to as Mrs. Oh. Frisbee. Oh, yeah. It doesn't tell you her husband's first name in that page, but but I know what it is. It does actually tell you on, I believe, the first page of the picture book, which I can see uh, on this website that I found. It's Jonathan. Yep. It's Jonathan. Mm. And uh, I, I mean, Timothy obviously has a name. Mm. I, I think all of her kids have first names, <laughs> but Mrs. Frisbee never gets yeah. first name. Now, 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 here's an edit that I'm much less sure of, but what if we just never mention the husband? What if it's just Mrs. Frisbee's the head of the family, here's her kids, and we just never talk about the dad? Um, uh, you can't. You can't do that. Unless you have, you just have to rewrite the story. Yeah. And on the one hand, like, if I'm starting from scratch, that's a pretty good take. Uh, right. But I think this story really benefits from having that, like, very recent tragedy just like coming in from it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i do like wait wait oh actually here's a question mm-hmm. preceding summer okay so just just six months or or or, or less let's say mm-hmm. that's when he died yeah. if this yeah. if this is winter and he died yeah okay here i was thinking like a whole year for a mouse that's a move on <laughs> yeah that, that's like that's like uh geriatric man. that's like yeah that's what is that like 25 percent of your 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 life if if that yeah uh, more than that yeah 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 that was the other thing that kind of kept like the sense of time and again knowing how long mice are supposed to live and then <laughs> so wait do they live longer that like six months is not an enormous span of time this can't be like metaphorical winter and summer or like you know mice seasons because we're actually talking about specific months that are measured in you know human days and and windows of time so so how is this how is this working exactly hmm. all right i i will say so uh um 
uh, I took a writing class, who knows, a year ago. Um, and one of my, uh, f- for one of the week's assignments, I turned in a, uh, a story about a murder in a, uh, in a rabbit warren. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise just played it straight as rabbits as, as like as straight as I could. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's real annoying <laughs> to, to try to, to try to be like, Oh, well, I want to tell this story, but I also have to like respect their like biology and like, what do I know? And then I'm just like, you know, again, I have the benefit of Wikipedia. So I'm just like reading articles about bunny behavior, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as observed in the wild. Uh, but like, yeah, no, it's, it's real annoying. Uh, I'll say that. I have, uh, I have a very high tolerance for, cartoon style abstraction mm-hmm. in in this kind of situation so that like didn't really bother me on this page but i can see getting a little hung up on some of the the continuity details of lifespans I, i'm fine with like the suspension of disbelief or you know the setup that like yeah mice in this world just they like age like people age years a year and you know their babies are one year old but that's a you know an infant still mm-hmm. um it's kind of when you're getting both at once that I get mm-hmm. like, I just want to know where the line is. Mm-hmm. I don't mind if it's not consistent with reality. I just want to, yeah. I just want it to be consistent throughout with its own internal logic. I, I, I would definitely consider reading like the, the Silmarillion uh, for, for Mrs. Frisbee. Just <laughs> like, 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 like what, what's the world building? Like what else? Like what is, what is a mouse wedding ceremony? Like, right. uh, of course, coming from like a, a five-all standpoint, I'm picturing something very, very Jewish. Uh, but I mean, is there mass religion? I mean, you could probably, you can probably still find that paper from the National Institute of Mental Health. <laughs> but that would be more research than than we do for this. Mm. On that note, I think we are running up against time. Casey, where can folks find you? Um, I don't have much of a social media presence, but I am on another podcast that I record with Vin called The Chimera, which is an actual play podcast. Uh, you can definitely find me over there, or at least my voice and a little blurb that says, can't really be found anywhere but here. <laughs> um, that's about it. I, yeah. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io, and you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space, or on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com, and we'll meet you back here next week, weather permitting. <laughs>